You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Those touch tones are the sound to begin our Straight Talk segment here on Real Presence Live. This is an opportunity for you to bring any questions before Father Leffer and me that uh, uh, we can we can tackle. 877-795-0122. And, you know, Father Gross, you and I, we, we, we can stimulate one another and have fascinating conversations, where, and that's fine, and we will do that. But man, we love to hear what's on people's minds. And we, we really do, all of our listeners who are out there, there's right. so many things going on in the church, in mm-hmm. the world, yeah. uh, small things, big things, all over, yes. and ideas. And your, your fellow listeners will benefit from the question that you bring to us, definitely. And, and if you're sitting there right now and you have this kind of burning thought or question, whatever, it means others do as well. And we, we love to address what's on your hearts and your minds. But having said that, Eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two or Facebook or through email if you know Father Gross or my phone number, text message send it on in we'll we'll get it on air. Um, yes. But Father Gross and I we can we can go to town here too. We <laughs> we we do not mind the sound of our own voices. It's never it's never stopped us. So indeed yes. So as we are uh, as we are waiting for these questions to come rolling in, one thing I wanted to bring up here, and there are a couple of different angles I want to take with this um, as we are broadcasting today. And uh, just a reminder, we do air uh, encore episodes, encore uh, presentations on Saturdays of the episodes of Real Presence Live. You may be listening to this on a podcast, but those who are listening live, it is the 29th of July, which is a memorial that Pope Francis has recently augmented. So it is the memorial of St. Martha, who is mentioned in two of the Gospels of uh, Luke and John, but she also had two siblings who figure very prominently in the uh, in the course of the Gospels and our Lord's ministry, Mary and Lazarus. And uh, the Holy Father is asked that all three of them be memorialized on this day. Okay, so I, I love putting things in historical context and giving the broader spectrum on things, and then we can dive, because there's so much to talk about on right. this topic. So one, why do we have the Feast of St. Martha originally today? Because an octave ago, we had the Feast of St. Mary of Magdala, which are Mary Magdalene. Now, throughout the history of the church for 2,000 years, there are different church fathers have taken different approaches here. There's there's two or three different schools of thought about who Mary of Magdalene is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the schools of thought is that she is Martha and Lazarus's sister. There's another school of thought that says, no, no, she's, she's Mary from Magdala. She's not Mary from Bethany, that there's a separate individual Mary of Bethany who is a sister of Martha and Lazarus. Now, the thing about it is what I love about being Catholic, there's room for all of it mm-hmm. in the church. And it's very fruitful, actually, to go back and see from the different perspectives and read the different church fathers, their thoughts about it, because it, it's very stimulating. Here's one thing. I'll just do my own personal little thing on this that right. kind of gets my goat, is when, you know, modern scholarship is very important, and we learn so much through modern scholarship, but it can also be oppressive. And how I mean is th- there's kind of this... With modern feminism, there's a healthy feminism, like St. You know, Edith Stein, for example, where she talks about true feminism, what it means to be in the image and likeness of God as, as fully woman. Um, but kind of the modern feminism wants to knock things down or, or draw the conclusion that uh, women didn't have a place in the church or, or that they were, you know... Victims of oppression. Of, exactly, kind of thing. So there's this temptation with modern scholarship to take Mary, St. Mary Magdalene and to clean her up. 
and to clean her up. And there's this, this, the thought out there that she was actually an independent, wealthy woman, a cloth merchant, who actually took care of Jesus' needs and, and so forth. And they, they want to make her a woman of power and that she was okay. And, kind of, and I, when I've come across those things, that to me that's so oppressive because, and I'll, simple reason, I actually need Mary Magdalene to be kind of a, not kind of, a sinful woman who had a horrible life and all kinds of horrible things, wounded by men and by abuse instead of love and so forth, because, and who has seven demons, you know, because why? She encounters Christ, and in encountering Christ, she experiences true love, true healing, true conversion, true, and then she becomes this incredible Christian who doesn't care what the world does to her, She's focused on Christ. It doesn't matter if it's crucifixion, she's there. And why I say that's so important is, well, then if there's room for somebody like that in the church to be a saint, well, then there's room for me. You know, and, 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 and she gives me yes. hope and she gives me a vision and a dream. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this could be my own family. This could be my own sister. This could be my own. I totally identify. Where the other one where it's the cleaned up version and powerful person, yeah. I struggle to identify there. Right. You know, with well, it. one of the things that kind of confuses is this or conflates things is that in chapter 7 of Luke, before the mention of Mary Magdalene and the demons that were cast out of her, there is that, um, uh, that standalone story of the the woman who finds Jesus at the home of Simon the Pharisee and who anoints his feet with oil and and, uh, dries uh, his feet with her hair and stuff like that. So there are church fathers who have been conflating that example with, you know, Mary Magdalene and things like that. And and scholarship is trying to sort through and figure out who belongs where. So so we have have that example and then we have uh, Martha here today. Um, And uh, one of the options for the gospel to use today is that popular story from the Gospel of Luke, where um, Jesus accepts the invitation to come to their home, and Martha is racing around and making sure that she's the hostess with the mostest and all the rest of it, while on the other hand, Mary just kind of lets all of that go and is focusing on the Lord, sitting at his feet and in contemplation, reflecting on what he has to say. And and I often tell people that growing up as I did, you know, among uh, German from Russia farm families, St. Martha is not only our unofficial patron, she's our hero. And so when the Lord says, you know, you are anxious and worried about many things, my, uh, you know, family and people I've grown up with would say, you're doggone right she is. You know, it's about time that her sister get off her duff and do this. And, and the that. reaction, there, there's almost this immediate reaction to say, like, how dared Jesus mm-hmm. do that? He, mm-hmm. He's not seeing it properly. It should be the other way around. And, and those of us who are active type agents, we take it personally. Like, what? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and so we want to set up this thing where... So, like their their enemies are opposed or something. And I, I always like to tell people, you know, what's really important and healthy is just take a deep breath, step back, and make an act of faith and actually believe Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, it's important because the temptation here then is to dive in to say, we have these two expressions of life and they're opposed and one's this and one's that. And Hold on. Take a breath, step back, and actually believe Jesus. When, when he rebukes Martha careful to draw the conclusion about why he's rebuking her, mm-hmm. but actually receive the rebuke and let the rebuke come in and settle. And, and then, and cause he's, he's trying to get Martha's attention for relationship with him, right? Drawing it to him. It, nowhere in there does he say that she shouldn't be serving. Nowhere in there does it say that she shouldn't be active nowhere, but he, he's definitely giving her a rebuke. And I, I always say like, if we're not going to pause and receive the Lord's rebuke, we're going to miss out on the grace. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's not doing something just to hurt her, or harm her, or make fun of her, or belittle her. He actually desires the fullness of right. Martha's relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So when, when he gives that rebuke, say, okay, and then each of us individually, what happens to us if we let ourselves receive that rebuke? Mm-hmm. Does it get us rightly ordered then with the Lord yeah. so the grace will flow no matter if we're sitting at the feet or we're mm-hmm. active? And uh, we do have a question that we're going to be addressing in just a moment here. And let's give that number one more time, 877-795-0122 to be part of our conversation here on Straight Talk on Real Presence Live with uh, Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer. We don't want to oversimplify things, but you know there is that um, stereotype where Mary and Martha are representing active and contemplative dimensions of the Christian life and discipleship. And I'll, I'll tell you a little story. You remember that movie back in the early 90s, Sister Act, with yes. Whoopi Goldberg. And uh, there is a, a classmate of ours, which um, Father Bachmeyer, if you happen to be listening, <laughs> not a classmate, but a friend of ours in the seminary. He's right above us. Or he, he's yes, yes. Us. Anyway, um, I remember that fall, I, we were in, having a conversation, and um, I had mentioned, you know, we got talking about that movie, which had come out the previous summer, and, you know, I was talking about, I thought it was fun, and, you know, it was very clever in terms of taking the text of classic hymns and putting them into a kind of a different format, Matera, Mata, Inte, Marata, Sanctus, Sanctus, Dominus, all the rest of it, stuff like that. And then uh, our, our friend said, you know, that he was, that something really bothered him, that he was just really rankled by that movie, and, you you know, I was rather young and not not all that mature, so I didn't realize it at first. And um, w- what he was talking about is that this given religious community had certain disciplines, it had certain charisms, and the message that the character Whoopi Goldberg was playing was essentially, you have to give all of that up, that the only way you're going to be authentic and relevant is if you come out of the, you know, the, the cloister or whatever and, and kind of in, in the community and various things like that. And he's like, that's just so typical of Hollywood, you know, just wanting well, to change the way that they you are. Know, it, it ties in with the earlier segment in that utopian society when you're no longer used for production we euthanize you it's like it's like no there's value in being mm-hmm. like being at the feet of jesus right or being in the close there, there's an essential value that yeah. we cannot do without you know think about eucharistic adoration and various things like that how that really is a spiritual powerhouse in par- parish communities but there will be people who will say well if you just say you know let's pray about this they think that that's an empty cliche or something useless and they don't really appreciate that contemplative that's what, again, the one that brings this all together for me is, is saint Teresa of calcutta where she would spend an hour in the morning recognizing jesus cleverly disguised as a piece of bread coming to her and spend all day serving Jesus cleverly disguised in the poorest of the poor on the street mm-hmm. and she would end the day again back with the Lord who's cleverly disguised there. Right. That all of the above, not just one or the other. Exactly, and, it, and that's, that's a healthy body of Christ, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so we do have one question here that we want to take up. Thank you, Jane, for uh, bringing this question uh, to us. Thanks for listening as you're calling from an undisclosed location in South Dakota. And she is asking about James chapter 5, verse 14, the reference to anointing of the sick, that are there any who are sick among you? They should summon the presbyters of the church. Is this good enough, or should we simply go to our parish priest for anointing? Also, what do they mean by presbyter in that uh, translation? Sure. So th- this is this is right where the we have seven sacraments in the church, right? And one of those sacraments is uh, used to be known as extreme unction. Now we we refer to it as anointing of the sick, laying on hands in in the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and anointing with oil uh, for healing. And it comes directly from the instruction that James gives us here in um, 
uh, chapter 5, verse 14. So, um, so she asked these specific things. Uh, if you are sick, uh, you should summon the presbyters of the church. If this is good enough, or should we go? Okay, so how that, in a Catholic perspective, because I'm sure the other Christian denominations have a different interpretation, but from the Catholic perspective, uh, well, the, the bishop is your direct pastor, right? But then he appoints priests. So there, each priest who has a designated area that he's a spiritual caretaker for those souls, you, you contact him, you call him, he comes. And in the name of the Lord. See, that this is the thing. I, I was talking about this the other day with somebody. I said, you know, for 23 years we've been doing this, Father Gross. We've been anointing, right? And every time somebody asks me, I always have the same initial reaction, which is, hey, Father, could you anoint me? And what comes up in me is like, well, no, I can't do anything for you. That's, that's the first initial reaction. And then everybody's like, wait a minute. They're not asking me, Jason Leffer. They're at calling the Lord. Lord Jesus, can you come? Can you lay hands on me? Can you touch me? Mm-hmm. Can I uh, touch you? Will you bring the healing power of the Holy Spirit to raise me up, forgive my sins, and, and heal me? And, and, and that's what we do as ordained ministers. We've been given that power and authority to be called right. upon. Mm-hmm. We respond. So the word presbyter here, in this direct reference, means the priest. Right. And that's that's we. I think from the Greek, like presbyteroi, like overseer or something like that. So that's just a, a term that refers to that. And basically, the way I understand this reference from uh, the letter of St. James is that we're talking about a structure that was already established and understood in the church of a minister of a particular sacrament. And so we are connected in an unbroken line, you might say, in celebrating. And, and so and, and we should encourage, because there seems, I don't know, Father Grossmere, perspective, but it seems like there's been almost a loss of an understanding when people are sick in the body of Christ to actually call the priest. That, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of people who are sick and dying who I end up not hearing about because nobody calls me or lets me know. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, maybe if you a generation ago or decades ago. Extreme unction, uncio in extremis. Right. Yeah. But, but it's like, but it almost needs to be renewed. To give, yeah. We almost need to give people permission, like, call us. That's why we were black. Don't be afraid mm-hmm. to call us. Don't be afraid to bother us. Don't be yeah. afraid to right. let us know you have a need because we're yeah. here. We were ordained to come to serve. A chronic, serious medical condition, you know, because nobody can pinpoint when, you know, they're getting so close to death's door that there's this quasi-magical moment. Okay, now it's, it's time to ordain. And I always tell so. people, err on the side of asking too much yes because we can always tell you no you know or, or <laughs> right, clarify it right. or whatever but eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two is our number for straight talk and also you can submit questions on our facebook page we have another one that is submitted from another undisclosed south dakota location vicky thank you for calling in she is wondering what to say to a family member who has a loved one that has passed away this individual believes that the soul stays with the body until the second coming so i think that has to do with our understanding of the soul is the animating principle and what it means to be alive or or dead, right? How about we start with a simple definition of death. Death literally means the separation of the body and the soul. When mm-hmm. the, on, on this side of the final judgment, that there there is the separation. And so the glorified body, the resurrected body, is the, is the reunion of the soul and the body. I mean, I don't know if people, a lot of people don't realize this, but heaven is actually, right now, we, we say our goal is heaven. Well, not actually. Our goal is the new heavens and the new earth. Heaven is actually the souls of, of all those waiting for the final judgment and 
you know, how time works. And again, these, these terms fail us, but they are not in their resurrected bodies. They're not fully, and, they're, and I love the scene in uh, the book of Revelation. It says the, the souls are gathered around the altar, and they're like kind of, I envision them pounding. How on much it. Longer, longer must we wait? How much yeah. longer? And wait for what? For the, the fullness of glory, which is the reunion of the body the and raising the soul. up of the body. Yep. Okay, so that's the definition of death, which God did not intend from the beginning. He did not intend us to be separated like this. Um, but it is the experience at, at our natural death in this life. There's a separation of the body mm-hmm. and the soul. And now we, we believe spiritually that th- this way we pray for the, may the souls be at rest. May they be at peace. May they be, mm-hmm. um, and we, we talk about like ghosts or things or hauntings or it, and it's possible for a soul to not be at rest, to not be at peace. Um, I mean, I could actually give real life stories to back this up kind of or whatever but a lot of this has to do with i'll just get a quick one where um there there was a, a house that was being being haunted and the person came and 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 asked for help and so we did an inventory to find out what could possibly be the source of this we eliminated i mean it took a while, everything everything finally we discover oh there was um one of the family members had died a tragic accident there had been a cremation they had separated out the cremains and different people had put them in amulets and they were wearing them all the siblings and they had cremains in this room and once i found that i said okay here let's bring all those amulets back let's put this back together let's actually take the cremains let's get a burial site do the prayers of the church consecrate have a funeral mass said for this person blah blah and the haunting ceased you know and so that that's a very vivid example of a soul that's not at peace or Mm -hmm. unrest now in here she says her relative believes that the soul stays with the body until the second coming. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if, if there's like some sort of um, imprisonment or a punishment or that sort of thing. I guess what I was basically thinking, if you go back to kind of the Greek philosophy, Aristotelian, uh, you know, um, categories of, let's say, an animal or, or a plant or whatever, that if you can speak of a soul, so to speak, not an immortal, you know, human soul, but that principle, you know, that when that leaves, that's, you know, the, the death of that certain individual. And so. I guess maybe what it sounds like to me is they're saying like the relative doesn't quite understand the Christian understand. I say, well, it's a basic instruction to say, at death there is a separation of the body and soul. The church has rites mm-hmm. and prayers, and this is why, like yeah. the, funer- the the anointings, the funeral mm-hmm. rituals, and all these are right. so important mm-hmm. because we do care for the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, the yeah. the burying of the body as well as the prayer and the rites for the soul. Right, that the soul will be at rest mm-hmm. until the final judgment. When I think of the first know. letter of Saint Paul to the Thessalonians, chapter four, that those uh, who have passed away that they will be caught up and with the Lord to meet Him. In the clouds or today lazarus right i yeah, mean here's yeah. he waited four days mm-hmm. to make sure that you understand that that soul was no longer with the body yeah and christ called the soul of lazarus back to lazarus reunited him mm-hmm. and called he raised him from the dead he reunited the body and the soul of lazarus and this was the, the sixth miracle he did yeah it was so amazing to indicate he really is the lord who has power over yeah. By, by the way, what was that like for Lazarus afterwards? You know, as people, he was quite the curiosity. He showed up at a, some sort of public well, event. It's like, you're the guy who was dead for four days and now you're alive well, the, again. The, and the part that hurts me so deeply is like a couple sentences later, it says, they, and they wanted to kill him now. <laughs> just like the poor guy. I already died once, you know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, it's I it's like, what. How much more love of the Lord can I handle? It's like, <laughs> 
Oh, we just have a few minutes left. 877-795-0122 of the Straight Talk segment. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Real Presence Live with Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer. Lori from Fargo has a question for us. Do we know if Jesus ever met his grandparents, Saints Anne and Joachim, whose memorial we celebrated on Monday? Did he ever meet Joseph's parents? And what do we know about St. Joseph's parents? Well, um, the, the father of St. Joseph is mentioned in, is it uh, Matthew's genealogy in chapter yeah. one? But, you know, this is where, frustratingly, scripture itself is rather silent on it, but you have to look at the, that three-legged stool of the deposit of faith with a scripture, tradition, and magisterial teaching. So it is from those other two, in addition to scripture, that is informing what the church has to say. And, and, and the fact that we know the names Anna and Joe come, that it comes, I believe it's the gospel. Thomas, I'm going to say. And there, there's the other, we call them extra biblical sources. They, they are not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we do. Part of the literature of the early church. From it, and known that's by what, some communities, that's not where by we get others. The names. And, and then you have the, the famous uh, 1976 or 77 um, Jesus of Nazareth, where it shows okay. St. Anne is still alive when Joseph are alive and with Mary before Jesus is born, but they have St. Anne die before Jesus ever meets her kind of thing. You know, okay. Anyway, so there, you know, I mean, the short answer is we don't know for sure. Yeah. There are these other literally things that kind of hypothesize out mm-hmm. there or whatever, but we, we do know the father's name mm-hmm. of, of Joseph and we know Anna and Joachim. So. Right. And it's one of those things where when you look at the sociological dynamics and the extended family, kind of the clans, it, it would be hard not to if they were alive and in some sort of condition of wellness because the families didn't identify in such a strictly nuclear sense, you might say, as we have And today. their homes were comprised of generations. They might have four generations in the same right. household. That, that it's the same thing as you know the reference to Jesus when he comes to Nazareth and having brothers and sisters where we talk about that's a translation of a word that is not specifying a simple, you know, blood relative of a, you know, a brother or sister. Could but. you give us, Father Gross, could you give us um, any any comment on uh, uh, Pope Francis instituted a new uh, thing this past weekend for right, grandparents? Right. Um, Yes, there was a World Day for Grandparents and the Elderly, which uh, was inaugurated earlier this summer to happen every year on the fourth Sunday of July, which would land in close proximity to July 26th every year, the Memorial of Saints Anne and Joachim. And he was speaking of the... um, uh, the the, the uh, loneliness, you know, th- there are certain societies where you have these notorious stories of people who are elderly and lo- alone, and for days nobody finds them after they have passed away. Uh, Japan, I think, is one of the notorious places where these things tend to happen. But a lot of developed nations throughout the world yeah, have this issue. Uh, the Holy Father also spoke about the mystery of the presentation of our Lord in the temple and the role that the aged Simeon and Anna played. And he's inviting the uh, those of older generations to identify with them in the privilege that they had and that Mary and Joseph wondered and, and marveled at, you know, the prophecy that was coming through them. So to to value that witness rather than to just, you know, set it aside. You know, and again, to contrast that with our opening segment of euthanizing those who we deem no longer, val- you know, mm-hmm. um, a- able contributors productive, to society or productive yeah. members of mm-hmm. society to say, no, it's Catholics and Christians here, we we have a completely different understanding. And I, I would say, like, so from, I don't know, from you, my perspective, 
I, I grew up with four generations and as a little boy, I knew my greats, you know, and, and I, not only that, but the other people in my neighborhood, they were, were all united by faith, but, and I remember my mom would take us as just little ones around and there's, there's like, you know, great grand, we call her great grandma Schneider, even though she wasn't our great grandmother, but, and then my own great grandmother mm -hmm. who, and I look back on it now, we didn't know have the language then, but they suffered from Alzheimer's. And as a little boy, I was terrified or I was scared. And it was my mom who took me and said, no, no, you are not terrified or scared of this person. This, and I, I didn't understand it as a boy because she would scream at me or, and I, I, you know, kind of a thing. But I look back on it now and it's like, God bless my mom who took me, because she taught me that, no, no, you don't, because that's where like we get these ideas about witches or things like this, or they're scary. But mm -hmm. she took me right in there and she said, no, no, this, this person, not only does she deserve to be loved, but she would love, and then once great grandma would warm up, she would realize who I was and she would be kind to me and she always give me a little treat or whatever, yeah. you know. But I, I reflect back on that so powerfully about mm -hmm. how, that yeah. taught me the value of the human right. person, mm -hmm. even if they're not able cognitively to be present anymore. Yes, and I, this calls to mind a, a story of something that I noticed just recently uh, from my hometown. There's a nice young couple living on a farm near the farm that I grew up on in Napoleon, and I saw a social media post where Ryan and Kayla have two small children. All eight of the great-grandparents of that little boy and little girl are still living. Oh my gosh. And as part of a family picture, they had the grandparents and all of those great-grandparents along with with the mom and the dad and the two little ones and I thought to myself wow what a great privilege that is you know and it's a way of honoring you know these these older generations so um, uh, it, they may not be listening but hopefully somebody who knows them <laughs> is and can uh, uh, relay that uh, story so uh, kudos so we to could, that we could say family. you know this is definitely on the heart and the mind of our Holy Father Pope Francis to to remember and to love and, and make an effort to reach out to those who elderly who might be neglected because they don't have loved ones yeah. remaining or relatives nearby. Yes, no doubt thing, so. this was exacerbated by the experience of the pandemic over the past year where for months and months people were not able to have personal contact with loved ones whether they were in their own home living independently or certainly in assisted living facilities or nursing homes. You know, we had those heartbreaking stories of people standing outside a window and, you know, the person inside talking on the phone as the one on the outside is on their yeah. on their mobile phone and stuff like that. And, and it, you know, it, Prior to the start of this, you would have thought to yourself, well, you know, whenever I want to go down there, I'll go down there, and maybe I don't go often enough, but, you know, at least I'm able to do that. After this experience of many, many months, in the case of some of these facilities that were locked down for an extended period of time and never really opened up, you know, that was uh, that was really a difficulty. So thank you very much for those questions that were submitted here in the Straight Talk segment. So up next, we're going to be talking about history, law school, Theodore Roosevelt, and with some faith sprinkled in. So stay with us as we begin the second hour right after this break of Real Presence Live. <laughs> 